He's running late, you guys. Okay, come on. Come on. I don't even know why we're doing this. Okay. They're always out oh, my phone turning in. Oh, jeez. Really? Right now? No, we never even send out these pictures. I'm gonna be in the middle. Okay. You, Layla. You. Did you brush your teeth today? How's your hair? Okay, everybody together. One, Here we go. Smile. Two, Smile. Three. Gum. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to December. The train is on the tracks, and, and we're officially on a collision course with Christmas in just a few weeks. And uh, for some of you, that brings excitement, and for others, it brings twinges of, of dread. Uh, but either way, it's coming for all of us. And my question is, how are you going to walk through Christmas uh, this year? Will you walk through this season in a healthy, uh, God-honoring way, or will, will you sprint to the finish line frazzled and frayed? And I would suggest that, that you'll start down one of those two paths even today. You know, many of you have seen the old classic and, and kind of creepy movie rendition of The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 version. Dorothy and her friends, uh, they finally get to the Emerald City. They're terrified and they're intimidated by the great and powerful Oz. And he, he commands them to bring back the witch's broom. And, and if they did so, he would grant their request. But when they finally do come back with their prize, the great wizard is still not cooperating. And of course, you know, no one dares to question the great and powerful Oz. Uh, but in the middle of their negotiation, you remember, Toto, Dorothy's little dog, runs over and he pulls back the curtain on uh, this little room in the corner, only to find an unimpressive man operating the very impressive projection system that is merely pretending to be the powerful Oz. Well, it turns out all his bravado is, was just blather and, and the wizard was pretending to be someone that he's not all along. He's been putting on a great show. Now, it turns out he's not very great and he's not very powerful in real life. And the famous line that he says into the microphone, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And I think this scene provides kind of a perfect metaphor for how many of you are feeling this Christmas season. Like, I'm gonna put on a show. I'm gonna pretend to be okay. I'm gonna show up where I need to show up. I'm gonna smile when I need to smile. I'm gonna fake being merry and bright. Uh, but for the love of all things, don't look behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the person behind the curtain. Because if you peek back there, you're gonna find a very unimpressive person trying to project a very impressive image for everyone to see. And so today we begin a series that will culminate at the Warner Theater at the end of the month, and it's called Christmas Behind the Curtain. And we just wanna call out and name some of the real behind the scenes stuff that's going on in our lives this holiday season, and just try to have a more authentic, more simple, uh, more holy Christmas. And many people forget how that Wizard of Oz character arc concludes. So once the man behind the projector is revealed, once his real identity comes to light, it doesn't ruin him, it actually frees him. It frees him from pretending. He's not someone that, 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 you know, that, he's, he, that he's not. And the wizard, he gets into a hot air balloon and he flies home. And yes, he leaves Dorothy to get home on her own, but he's finally free from pretending. And I pray that that, that would be some of your story too, as we head into December, 2023. No more pretending. 
Listen to this firsthand account from Bo Stern. She says, she said, I really loved my first 45 Christmases. <laughs> they certainly weren't perfect, but they also weren't painful. In fact, I would say that based on the, pu- the purely imaginary standard holiday happiness scale, although I, ha- I had known highs and lows, my cumulative Christmas experience stood at a good solid eight. I really liked holidays, and I loved making them happy for my husband and my kids. It was a job I felt born to do, and then came February 2011. My husband was diagnosed with ALS. Christmas is supposed to be happy. I wanted to be happy. More than anything, I wanted it for my kids and my husband and my friends, but don't let me kid you, I wanted it for me too. I longed to fall in love with Christmas, but my broken heart had a mind of its own and it didn't seem to understand the rules of the calendar. See, holidays serve as milepost markers in our lives. We remember who we were with and what we ate and how happy everything seemed in comparison to the raw reality of right now. The problem with these built-in milestones, though, is that they're impossible to dodge. They show up every year like clockwork, woven into the rhythm of our Hallmark card culture. We can't avoid them, but we don't have to face them alone. The real beauty of the incarnation is that Christ came, and he came for every hard or happy day we will ever face. So over these next three weeks, we're gonna look behind the curtain at real emotions and real expectations and then real family pressures that come with the holiday season. And Jesus came to intersect with all of these things. And so we're breaking away from our Mark series for a couple of months and we're gonna jump back in toward the beginning of Lent. Uh, But the title of my message today as we launch this new series is, It Looks Like Joy, But I'm Not Okay. And we're going to look at understanding our runaway emotions and how Jesus and his presence are the answer for true joy that we don't need to fake. And so today's big idea says, invite the light of Christ to your emotions this Christmas. See, the Bible takes a very holistic approach when it comes to to your faith. Every part of you needs to be engaged. See, see, we've accepted a, a splintered view of what it means to be human. And so uh, we think, well, you, you have an intellectual identity over here, and you have a relational identity over here, and an emotional identity, and a sexual identity, and a political identity, and a spiritual identity. And you think that all of those things can operate independently of each other. But, but when you live like this, you lose something very important. You lose what's called your integrity. You know what integrity means? It's when your life is integrated and not fragmented like what I just described. Integrity means you're the same person in every arena. You have one cohesive identity that operates holistically under the Lordship of Christ. Consider Jesus' words from Mark 12, 30. He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a call for every inch of our lives to be sold out to God, surrendered to God. That includes, by the way, our emotions. So we're called to love God with our emotions, not called to run from our emotions, not to pretend, not to distract ourselves so that we don't have to deal with them, not to isolate because we're embarrassed about them, not to stuff them down and hopefully they'll pass before they explode. No, we invite Jesus in to them. And instead of running from our emotions this Christmas, I want to call us to invite Jesus into all of it. So let's just name some of those runaway emotions, shall we? These are the things that can get the best of us during the holiday season. The first one is insecurity. And boy, is this one on display at Christmas. 
Insecurity is an overall sense of anxiety about your worth, your abilities, your skills, and your value as a person. Insecurity expresses itself sometimes through isolation, but, but often in social settings, it can come out as bragging about yourself or making yourself the hero of every story, always turning the, the attention toward you even when someone else is talking. It can express itself in addictions to, to food or to alcohol or to substances. You know, it's interesting in our planning meeting for this series, our team was talking about how insecurity expresses itself during the holidays. And it was really funny that the difference between the, the men and the women in the room. The ladies agreed that Christmas often feels like a test for women and especially moms. And with a test, you either pass or you fail. And so it feels like every woman is kind of being compared with every other woman. Can you produce, you know, the best homemade treats? And can you buy the perfect presents? And can you present the most unique and creative decor and facilitate the most fun crafts? <clears throat> can you purchase the, the perfect outfits? Are you curating the ideal family memories? Are you hosting the best parties? Are you capturing it all in the most historic and iconic family photo and then posting those perfect photos to your social media album? I mean, that's a lot of pressure. About this point, one of the women in the room turned and looked at the guys and, and said, is there an equivalent thing for men at Christmas? Well, after some awkward silence and some navel gazing and foot shuffling, we, we came up with one equivalent. In snowy, eerie Pennsylvania, plenty of guys feel insecurity about the state of the driveway or the sidewalk. Is it clean? How much snow needs to fall before the other guys in the neighborhood start judging me for not shoveling or snow blowing? Did I, did I get to it before that layer of ice builds up on the concrete that I'll have to chisel away with either a different shovel or, or even a pick if it gets real bad? It's a problem. And insecurity, I'm joking, but insecurity can be a real honest problem at the holidays. The second runaway emotion is guilt. Guilt is a painful and devastating emotion because it, it bites at your conscience with unrelenting tenacity. Living with guilt is like being haunted by an evil ghost who constantly reminds you of your past failures. The holidays can bring memories of past mistakes rushing back into your mind, fights and arguments where you said things that you wish you hadn't. Maybe you feel guilty about who you're not buying gifts for this year, or how much you're able to spend this year. Maybe guilt is being put on you by a family member or a friend who thinks you should be carving out more time for them during the holiday. Or, or your in-laws wishing that you'd show up on this day or that day and you're not able to. Maybe the year-end memories have you looking back on 2023 with some regrets about how you spent your time or how you spent your money or some of the decisions you've made. Whatever the case, it's a nagging emotion, guilt is, that keeps pointing at you and saying, you are guilty. The psalmist says this in Psalm 38, 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Well, how does guilt come out? Well, sometimes it causes us to be overly protective or overly controlling of circumstances or controlling even of our kids. Sometimes it causes us to scramble around in exhaustion and trying to, to act spiritual and to do enough good deeds to overcome the demons of our past. Sometimes we rationalize or blame others for things that we've done. It was my, you know, my wife's fault or my parents' fault or my boss's fault or if only you knew what I went through, you know, you would have done that thing too. Sometimes people with unresolved guilt, they just hide and hope that it all goes away. But guilt is one of those runaway emotions. The third is anger. You know, things can get really raw. There are so many pressures this time of year. I, looking back, even for Kim and I, some of our harshest arguments over the years came around Christmas time. 
Proverbs 16.32 says, whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Solomon is insinuating that it's harder to rule your emotions than to rule a city. That's some real talk right there. So, so do you have an issue with anger? Let me just throw out a couple of diagnostic questions. Do minor irritations cause you to have a disproportionate response? Something spills at dinner or your computer restarts in the middle of a project and you lose your ever-loving mind. Do you tend to be in conflict with others often, like you're always in the middle of some kind of dispute or you're not on speaking terms with this person or that? Do you blame others for your outbursts? She made me angry or he said such and such to me and that just pushes all my buttons or it's their fault I lost my temper. How about this one? Do you think that anybody driving slower than you on the road is an idiot and anybody going faster than you is a maniac? (laughs) Can a single social media post get your blood boiling instantly? Then maybe you have some runaway anger in your life and anger has a way of hijacking everything else. Of all the emotions, anger has a way of taking control and suddenly you're doing or saying things that later, when you're more calm, you look back on with lots of regret. What is anger? When you really stop and think about it, most anger finds its roots in feeling out of control and then trying to reclaim control of people or of circumstances around you. In other words, you want things to always go your way. And if they don't go your way, you fly into a rage. Well, the fourth runaway emotion is sadness. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 38, 6 through 8. He says, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. And my back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Some of you deal with constant feelings of sadness and discouragement. It can cause negative circumstances to just overwhelm you and even debilitate your life, especially during the holidays. It's a time where You know, memories of better days can haunt you. Maybe you lost someone close and you have, you know, tons of holiday memories together. or You're in a new season of life and and you long for the way things used to be. The the sadness can often descend into depression. In the book Lectures to My Students, the famous pastor and evangelist Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. He said, fits of depression come over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we may at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise are not always ready, the brave are not always courageous, and the joyous are not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron, but surely the rust frets even these. It's so insightful. Even men and women who appear to be made of iron can battle rust when they're exposed to too many elements. So periods of intense sadness can bring warning signs like sudden weight loss or gain or too much or too little sleep or loss of interest in hobbies and things that you used to enjoy or fatigue, difficulty concentrating or making decisions, irritability. But sadness can become debilitating when it turns into depression, like it feels like you're in a dark cave and you can't find your way out, almost paralyzed, too paralyzed to move. So what do we do with these runaway emotions? How do we love God with heart and soul and mind and strength? How do we love him with the inside stuff? Well, I want to remind you that that feelings are a gift from God. Emotions are not bad or evil. They serve a very godly purpose. They can be the source of tremendous healing and spiritual growth. Our emotions can act like gauges on on our car dashboard that, that give us a glimpse at what's going on under the hood. 
And so we should be very grateful for emotions. The, the counselor that I've been working with tells me often that emotions are, are the messengers of our deepest values. These messengers are sent to deliver messages to our, conscience, our conscious mind and our too busy lives, that there's something going on that needs our attention. So how do we bring the light of Christ into our emotions this Christmas? I don't wanna be overly simplistic here, but did you know that in the midst of it all, we can still in, embody joy at the deepest level. You know, we hear about the joy of the season and we sing about joy to the world, and, uh, but can joy really break through our brokenness? What's the answer? Well, I wanna take you to an amazing prophetic Christmas passage. It's in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter nine. It's a reminder that in a season of runaway emotions, the light of Christ isn't for those who have it all together. In fact, Christmas is for the weary. In the words of Sam Alberry, listen to this quote. He says, things that make life hard often feel worse at Christmas time. Culturally, we have turned Christmas into a matter of performance. There's a cultural pressure to have life at its Instagrammable best. Impressive looking homes, delicious looking food, precocious looking children. Meanwhile, strained relationships, bereavement, financial difficulties, and uncertainties can feel all the more pronounced. A season of presumed celebration makes the hardships even more apparent. So Isaiah 9, is for us. That's our text today. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll see right away who Isaiah is writing to. So, something Christmas is for children, something Christmas is for the sentimental. No, God didn't come to earth to congratulate the successful. He didn't come to high five those who already have their lives together. We see here that Christmas is for the broken. Look at 9, 1 and 2. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, in the former time he brought into contempt to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. There was gloom. Did you catch these? There was anguish. There was contempt in this former time. But into those emotions comes the promise that God will do something special in the latter times, in, in what he calls Galilee of the nations. If God's going to do something big, you'd think it would start at divine headquarters in Jerusalem, not Podunkville, not the boondocks. Nobody had ever heard of Galilee, and it's a bit of an overstatement to call it Galilee of the nations. Come on. This this is nowhere, but this is the first clue that God is going to show up for the broken, that the coming of Jesus would contain none of the markers that this world would deem successful, starting with his place of birth. To think that salvation would come from Galilee was a slap in the face to any respectable religious person expecting the Messiah to come. But did you catch the promise there in verse 2? It says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And then he says that, that they actually dwelt in a land of deep darkness. That phrase, deep darkness, is a kind of unusual compound word that, that's been created by Isaiah. That, that phrase literally means the death shadow, those living in the death shadow. It takes this idea of darkness and the idea of death and it sticks them to, together. Anybody ever felt like you're living in a death shadow? That you're walking through a land of deep darkness? And here's the great news of our passage. He says, on them light has shone. Again, literally, the, the Hebrew word here means a flash of light. 
And so the raw original sentence in Hebrew goes something like this. For those living in a death shadow, a light has flashed. Life is possible for the people of the death shadow. And throughout the rest of the Bible, these words light and life are often used together. Why? Because life is not possible without light. There was an article in Popular Science some years ago that just uh, did a little thought experiment and imagined what would happen on earth if the sun just went out. No more light from the sun. Well, that's a neat idea to think about, isn't it, at Christmas time? You know what would happen? Here's a, there's a few things they pointed out. First, if the sun suddenly went out, the whole world would be zero degrees by the end of one day. It would be 100 degrees below zero by the end of, the, of a year. And, and, and all around the world, it would stabilize somewhere around 400 degrees below zero. That would be the Earth's temperature. And from that point forward. Secondly, photosynthesis would stop immediately, which means all of the oxygen that all of the plants in the world are putting out there into the world wouldn't be there, which means if the cold didn't get us, we would all suffocate from a lack of oxygen. And finally, we, we get so much vitamin A and vitamin D from the sun that if the first two didn't wipe us out, soon our bones would start to crumble because they become very, very fragile without vitamin A and D. In other words, if the light of the sun goes out, life goes out with it. But there's a very interesting thing that happens at the beginning and end of the Bible. In the creation account, remember the first thing that happens at the very beginning, God says, let there be light. And then there's light. But notice, the sun wasn't created until later. There was light, but there was no sun. Well, how does that happen? If you skip over to the very end of the Bible, we find out that when the city of God descends and the new heaven and the new earth are here and everything is perfect and all death is gone and all suffering is gone and all injustice and disease and aging and decay and they're all gone, it states very clearly that there will not be any sun. Why? Well, you won't need a sun. Why? Because the sun is just a symbol. What's, a, what's it a symbol of? Well, it says that God and the Lamb will be the light of the world. You see, there's an ultimate light, and in that ultimate light, nothing dies. In that ultimate light, nothing decays, nothing is ruined, nothing is dark, nothing is dead. And that is the light we need, amen? And, 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 and we're being told here that God is going to give it to us. Even those living in a death shadow, the flash of light has come, and that light is the light of life. Down in verse 6, the most famous verse from this text, we get some definition of what that flash of light is that's actually coming to Galilee. In verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I want to come back to those four titles in just a moment, but before I do, I want to underline that the light of life means victory to the weary. And I want you to, to notice the emotional shift, the emotional language that has taken place here in verses three and four. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased, what did you increase? It's joy. And so they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders and the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. You see, the coming of the light equals joy and freedom for the weary. 
Notice all the mentions of joy and rejoicing and gladness. You see, with the birth of this Savior, this baby comes true, deep, abiding gladness and joy. Not a nice face that you need to put on at the office Christmas party. Not a fake smile that you need to flash at the white elephant gift exchange. (laughs) He's talking about true and lasting and foundational and inner joy. And by the way, it's a joy that's possible even when you're not okay. True joy is different than external happiness. We experience happiness when our circumstances are are pleasant and we're relatively free from troubles. But James would say things like, well, I want you to count it all joy, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He's saying that you can have joy even during hardship because true joy comes with a right standing with God, not from our external circumstances. It's a deep inner contentment that endures any external circumstances because Christ is our light and he's our rock and he's our redeemer. He said, it's joy like the people felt when the oppressors were defeated in the day of Midian. If you know your Bible a little bit, this was a great victory in the book of Judges. You may remember the hero of the story, the victor, was this insecure leader warrior named Gideon who had success in battle with only 300 men that the God had had him keep whittling down and whittling down. The army was so small and so obscure that the only explanation for victory was the power of God. And it's a clue that the victory that Isaiah is foretelling here in chapter 9 will be similarly unusual and, and unlikely. It will come from the tiny Galilee of the nations. And it will come in the form of a lowly baby. It will come in the form of a servant ministry. And with him, with Jesus, the light of the world will be the final end of all conflict. We all need this victory. Not just because of our, uh, the war-torn nature of our world, but because of this deeper conflict. Because of this oppression under which all of us labor as descendants of Adam. As Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, all other conflicts, all other oppressions derive ultimately from this one, our captivity to sin. And God will end it. And he will end it in the most unlikely way. Unto us, a child is born. This is the flash of light that will defeat the death shadow. More critical to life than even the sun, a child is born. And this child is given four titles that bring true joy. I want to just walk you through them very quickly. He's called Wonderful Counselor. You see, with this title, Wonderful Counselor, comes the promise that the wisdom and the guidance and the teaching of Jesus will be breathtaking. Like if you've ever done counseling with somebody who's really good at counseling, it's like they're drawing out the deepest truths about you and about the world around you all the time. Well, Jesus' counsel, it says here, is truly wonderful. Those who heard him in person said that they'd never heard anyone else like him. So can I encourage you to do this? Can I encourage you to make an appointment with the wonderful counselor to identify your runaway emotions this Christmas? You'll never get better insight from anyone else. The second title is this, Mighty God. And with this title is the reminder that there is no better response to Jesus than to worship him. He's the mighty God. John Stott once said that if you look and you see people who actually talked to Jesus during his life and and they heard his actual claims, there were only three possible ways to respond to him. You, You either hated him, tried to kill him for claiming to be God, you were scared to death of his lunacy and you ran as far away as you possibly could from him, or, or 
you fell down and worshiped him and you gave him every single part of your life. You hated him, you feared him, or you worshiped him. Those were the options. And if you were one of the worshipers, like it meant that you embrace him. It means that you embrace him, that you give him your highest allegiance, that you say, you are the reason that I'm gonna get up every day just to live for you. But nobody, listen, nobody just liked him. Nobody just thought, well, you know, he's inspiring. I like that Jesus guy. I try to learn a little bit from him when I can. A lot of people try to do that today. Jesus didn't leave that option open. You, you can't just admire him. You can't just like him. And so let me challenge you to find time to immerse yourself in the mightiness of God this Christmas, the mighty God. Then he's called the everlasting father. We sing that song sometimes here, you're a good, good father. And I realize that some of you didn't have a good, good father. And thinking of God as your father doesn't do much for you. But he's a good Father, he's the perfect role model. He's the perfect guide. He gives the best advice. He cares for the helpless and he strengthens the weak. He will never grow tired of caring for you and giving you good gifts. And so let me just challenge you and, and, and challenge you this way. Stay connected to Jesus and to your spiritual family this Christmas. Jesus, as our good father, reminds us that we have a spiritual family. It's easy to forget that because we get so busy to, and we back burner our faith and we skip out on spiritual opportunities. But stay connected to your everlasting father and to your spiritual family. One of the most straightforward, easy ways to do that is can I, can I just invite you to come back for this whole sermon series this month? Like make it a priority on your calendar. If you're new here, just say, I'm gonna make sure that for at least you know, an hour per week over the next three weeks, I'm gonna prioritize my soul and my spiritual family by showing up at church. Finally, the fourth title is this, the Prince of Peace. This baby will grow up to provide true and eternal peace between us and our God, a peace so potent that, that it will work its way into all relationships and eventually across all creation. At the end of his life, Jesus told his followers, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How many of you know our world desperately needs peace this Christmas? And not just, listen, not just the world over there, but the world right here. Not just across the oceans, but across the street from your house, across the hallway in school, across the break room at work, so some of you across the dinner table. So, so here's my challenge. Will you be a broker of peace in your relationships this Christmas? Jesus arrived at Christmas, but he didn't, didn't just arrive. This passage says he was given. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. See, Jesus didn't just come, he was given as a gift. That's the central event of Christmas, and it's all this gift giving. Well, Jesus was given. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus did not just come, he was a gift. There's one place in which Paul is so overwhelmed by the thought of this, that he just breaks into praise. He just says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. It's an unspeakable gift, an inexpressible gift. It's a gift beyond description. It's a gift beyond comprehension. And whenever Paul thinks about it, even for a moment, his imagination and his heart are about to explode. This is true joy. 
This Christmas, we don't have to say, it looks like joy, but I'm not okay. This is where actual joy comes from. That despite our circumstances, despite our trials, despite our pain, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And because the great light has flashed, you can have true and real and lasting and authentic joy. And so for this whole series, we're going to create some space in our in-person services. Amidst the hurry and the hustle, we want this to be a peaceful space where you can connect with this gift-giving God and the Prince of Peace. In your version plan, as well as in our in-person services, we're just going to practice some solitude and connecting with God in real time. So I want to invite your host to come up now and lead you through that time. God bless you, and I love you guys.